So we've been, uh, for the past two weeks, we've been going through a series called The Forgotten Disciplines. And we've been using this verse kind of as the bedrock. In Psalm 147, 10 through 11, it says, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The, delight, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. There's an understanding that, we, that he is not desiring us to tackle life, to tackle kingdom work on our own strength, on our own accord. But for us to have a right understanding and respect of fear of who he is and, understand, and an understanding that it's when we connect to him when we are the most powerful, when we find hope and when we know how to serve in his kingdom. And so I want to take a look at a discipline tonight um, that is oftentimes forgotten um, but I actually want to talk about the discipline within the discipline of service. But before I jump into that, allow me to share a short story with you. Uh, this past December of 2018, um, I, um, I admittedly hit something that I was so burdened by that I, I don't know if I've experienced so much bitterness, anger, and hatred towards someone. And um, it all stemmed back to my inability to be able to handle how I was serving this individual. And so I invested years into this individual. He was a disciple of mine, so to speak. I was investing in him in a lot of ways. And I got hurt by him um, in a lot of different ways. I feel like I extended grace upon grace, but I just hit a point where I, where I realized in my heart I held so much bitterness and anger towards him. And that in itself became burdensome. And I realized that I was missing something that there was something off and something needs to change. And what is interesting, I think the Lord used that to prepare me for a season that I entered in with Safe Families. I've been blessed with the opportunity to be the director of Safe Families for Children here in Central Ohio. And in this ministry, we have a great opportunity to serve others. And in doing so, I've encountered and experienced a lot of things that are just hard. Just hard. I think we all realize that when we invest in kingdom work and specifically people, it gets messy. It gets hard, it gets challenging, and it gets burdensome at times. And I believe he used that moment, that season in 2018 of December to equip me for the challenging season that I was going through with Safe Families. And so allow me to share what it is that I feel like I really learned from this experience as we jump into this concept of knowing how to handle service. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. I first want to say this before I jump into this. When I think about this church, I have a lot of pride in a lot of things when I think about this church. And one of them is that this is a church that knows how to serve. Amen to that? I feel and believe that there are countless people in this body of believers that are engaged in the kingdom work of service. And I think we can all resonate with the fact that that becomes burdensome at times. So I hope and pray that this is life-giving to you as we look through God's word as to how we can handle the work of service. So again, Galatians 5, 13 through 14. Paul says here, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is a very familiar verse. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh or the sinful nature, but rather serve one another in humbly love. For the entire law is fulfilled in, in keeping the one commandment, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If I were to summarize this verse, it's as simply as this. We are not, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> we are not saved by serving, but we are saved to serve. Similarly, we know the verse in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This, these verses are used a lot as well. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself, but a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he has prepared in advance. So we are saved to do good works. And this is what Galatians 5, 13 and 14 is saying. And I believe here the Apostle Paul gives us three insights related to this as it pertains to service. Number one being the basis for serving is salvation. First and foremost, we need to look to Jesus Christ and the cross and what he did for us, the debt that we owe that he paid for us. He lived a sinless life and took our sins upon him so that we could live eternally with him. And all it takes is us putting faith in him. So it starts there. The basis for serving is salvation. And if you were to go back up to the verse in Galatians 5, 13 and 14 that we were looking at, salvation, um, the freedom from the, fr- salvation could be synonymous with the freedom that it talks about in Galatians. The freedom that we find from death and also the fear of death. So we no longer have to serve that fear, meaning no longer do we have to work to get to salvation. But because salvation is ours through faith and his grace, we are now have the freedom to serve with great love. There's no hidden motives. There's nothing attached to our service in hopes that we get fill in the blank. Because we have received freely, we can now freely serve. And we can serve with the motive of love. And praise the Lord for that. But I think as we look at the source of salvation, when we look at salvation, we need to look at the source of salvation, Christ. And in this first point, I want to take a look at just who Jesus is. And first, I want to start with Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, where it says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ has loved us. So we see here that we are called to be imitators of God. Because we are his children and because he loves us, we should then communicate and execute the mission of love. And so let's take a look at three passages here. I got two Bibles because I'm super spiritual. I want to look at um, Matthew 20. I like it in the NLT, which is why I'm reading from this Bible here. Uh, Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. It says, Then the mother of James and John, so the sons of Zebedee, two disciples, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, In your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in the place of honor next to you? So she wants them lifted up. She wants them to have this high position, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus told them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter bitter cup of sorrow I'm about to drink? That's the cross. Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. You will indeed drink from it, he told them. But I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples, disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. This is a nice way of saying they were pissed off. But Jesus called them together and said, you know, what, you know that in this world kings and tyrants and officials lord over the people beneath them. So they use their position so that they can get people to serve them. But among you, it should be quite different. And it goes on to say, the greatest among you must be a servant. The greatest among you must be a servant. Then it goes on, two verses later, says, for, Jesus says, for even I, the son of man, did not come here to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. 
Going back, the greatest among you must be a servant. Not saying that those that are great serve. But those that serve in the eyes of the Lord are great. That's how he views you when you serve. Great. So it's not about position, but it's about posture. Are we taking a posture of humility, thinking of others, and looking how we can serve them with great love? Those who are great know how to serve. Let's take a look at Philippians 2, uh, a very familiar passage here. Um, in this, you see just, I'm not going to go through all of it, but you see just a great example of, of Jesus Christ's humility. And in verse 6, it talks about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Let me rewind, because this is who we get to be like. It says, rather, in verse 3, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Do not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, which we just read. And so we see here great humility and interest in others. Do not look to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. I love how Paul says later in this, hey, people fail to look to the interests of Jesus Christ because they're looking to their own. And so when we look to the interest of others, what he's saying later is we look to the interest of Jesus Christ. John 13, again, a very familiar passage. I'm only going to read a couple of verses, but we know this is where Jesus takes the position of a servant and washes his disciples' feet. This is one of the last intimate um, moments he had with his disciples before he went to the cross. And this is, I think, one of the last things he wants them to hear before he goes to the cross. And so he, we know he takes his position of a servant, washes their dirty feet, and at the end of it, it says, he says here, I have set you an example. Remember I talked about Ephesians 5? We are to be, we are follow God's examples. Here Jesus says it. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, here's a great thing, you will be blessed if you do them. He wants to us to experience his blessings. So in summary here, point one, the basis for serving is salvation. So we need to look to Jesus and how he served and to be able to define it. Number two, when we look at Galatians 5, 13 and 14, we see the biggest barrier to serving is selfishness. And until you, until you experience the inexplicable love and grace of the cross, selfishness will always get in the way because you are enslaved by your own hungers and habits. We want to feed the flesh. And if you're struggling with that post-salvation, it's because you are failing to, to feed the, the spirit inside of you. James 4, 5 says, the spirit inside of us jealously longs to be faithful to God. And how we feed that is by spending time with him, jumping into these disciplines that we're talking about. And when we feed the spirit, it will overcome the, fe- the cravings of the f- flesh, the hungers, the habits that we crave so much. And number three, the motive for serving is love. I want to be like Paul. I want to be compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. I want to reflect on the salvation that comes only through him. I want to reflect on all it is that he's done for me. And when we see here in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, really, it flushed out is the great commandment. Let us know how we can love. And so in summary of these three points, 
Service is rooted in Christ and the salvation that comes from him. But roots, I enjoy gardening. Roots need three good things to really feed it. It needs some good soil, it needs some sun, and some water. And here, when we look at how Jesus lived his life, how we see scripture define it, I think it's really simply put. It's humility, it's love, and it's an interest in others. I, it's, it's, I am ashamed at how much I have to pray to have an interest in others. I have to pray for that. And I hope we can do the same so that we can be the servants that he desires us to be. Very early on in uh, my uh, walk with Jesus, um, I, um, it did not take me long that this life was no longer for myself, but it was for him and his kingdom and to love others. And so I've been blessed, praise the Lord, with many opportunities to be engaged in a lot of kingdom work. A lot of, I've done a lot of um, um, vocational ministry uh, for my 16 years of following the Lord. And, uh, but um, the reality is, is that, again, it becomes pretty burdensome. And while it may be one of the most life-giving things to serve others, to love others, to engage in others, it can be heavy, hard, confusing, tiresome, and frustrating at times. It can be physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually draining. And to add to all that, there's a spiritual battle that is real. That when we engage in the kingdom work of service, the enemy will be on the attack. And he is ruthless in the ways that he does it. And we need to be on the guard. And I think one of the greatest ways he attacks us, and we see it in scripture, he is the father of lies. He will lie to us. And even in the unexpected obstacles and hurdles and difficulties that are thrown our way, he lies even more so in the midst of those. And so we need to be on our guard. And here's the lie that I've experienced time and time and time again as I've engaged in the kingdom work of service. Is that God is just, this is his goal. God is just asking me to serve just to use me up. He's just looking to use me up. It's as if I'm this disposable tool that he's just using for his services. That's the lie that I believe too often. He does not ask or have me or you serve in his kingdom to use you up. But rather, he came to give us life and life to the full. Amen to that. And it, that objective is the utmost importance to him. And here's the truth. First, I want to start off with this simple truth, and I'm going to dive into the bigger truth that I believe is, is important for us to realize tonight and to remember. Number one is that he doesn't need you. I want to start here. I love in uh, Isaiah 6.1, it describes God. Isaiah is describing God. And he's, I just, this is crazy to think about. He's describing God in the tabernacle. And, and, and he's describing just the, 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 the robe of his, um, um, uh, the, the train of his robe, the robe of his train, whatever that's called. And it talks about how it fills up the whole sanctuary. If, if, if this were the sanctuary, we would be suffocated by the train of his robe. That's how big he is. I love how the psalmist says that God measures the universe with the palm of his hand. He's like this. That's how big he is. We see that he's the creator of the world and of us. We see that he parts the seas. We see that he makes the walls of Jerusalem crumble just by men walking around it seven times. 
We see Jesus heal the blind, the sick, the lame, the deaf. He raises people from the dead. And most importantly, he conquered death. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But praise the Lord, he invites us into the kingdom work. I'm in awe of that time and time and time again. That he does not need me, but he invites me. And here's why. Point number two, here's the truth that we need to believe. He's not just looking to use you up, but again, he wants you to experience the fullness of his joy and love. I love, again, John 10, 10, we see that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Adversely, Jesus comes to bring us life and life to the full. I love in Ephesians 6, 7 through 8, it says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for all the good that he does. There's a reward, again, waiting for you. He's asking you to serve because he wants you to experience that reward. And I love John 15, 10, 11. John, I think, um, um, uh, Chris shared this verse, I think, just a couple weeks ago, these verses. I love John 15, 10, 11, some of my favorite verses. He says, when, Jesus says to his disciples, when you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. I tell you this so that you, be, you will be filled with my joy. He says this, yes, your joy will overflow. So I would make the argument that the predominant reason, Jesus, that God invites us into the kingdom work of service is so that we can experience the fullness of his love and joy. But again, here's the reality. We will grow burdened and frustrated by the kingdom work of service. When we engage in, when we put an interest in others and in humility, we love them, we serve them, we go out of our way. We jump into the ministry of in interruption and inconvenience. We will grow burdened and frustrated, and that is all right. But it's when we fall into the trap that I fell into, where we are ultimately, when we fall into this, in bitterness and hatred towards one another, is when we have failed miserably. We have fallen short. And so let us avoid that. Again, frustration because of the burden you're experiencing of the kingdom work of service is okay. When we fall into the trap of bitterness and hatred towards one another is when we have fallen off the cliff. And so when you have experienced this, or just in general, the burden of, of, of the kingdom work of service, you will be tempted to tap out, right? And so here's my encouragement. Here's my exhort, exhortment to us all. Never release the work of service until you have released the burden of the work of service. Let me say that again. Never release the kingdom work of service until you have released the burden of the work of service. Does that make sense? Let me jump into this more. And there's many reasons why I will tap out and release the work of service. Again, it becomes frustrating I experience my own selfishness and I get frustrated by that. It's too hard. It's, again, it's a ministry of interruption and inconvenience. There's little to no fruit that I'm experiencing. And th the pressure, the weight of it. I fall into this lie of believing that it's me that has to make things grow. Neither he or plants nor he or waters makes things grow. But we are called to one purpose because only God can make things grow. It's to love and to serve one another. 
and I feel the pressure to make things grow. You can't. I can't. Jesus can, and praise the Lord for that. And so here, how do I release it? How do I release the burden of the kingdom work of service? I want to take a look at Matthew 14, 12 through 36. And so we just, to set this up a little bit, we learn that, we just find out that John the Baptist is beheaded. And in verse 12, we pick up here. It says, John's disciples, so John the Baptist's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus, so stop, I'm going to stop real fast. Let's think about the relationship that Jesus and John the Baptist have. They're cousins, right? When they, the, their first meeting, the first time they met, was, which was in utero, John the Baptist freaking leapt for joy in his mother's womb. This was how excited he was to encounter his cousin, right? Jesus had John the Baptist baptize him. Jesus said, actually, um, and I think it's like John 11, that he is the greatest person who has walked the earth yet because of this reason. He was the forerunner. He was the one that went before Jesus Christ claiming that he is coming. His kingdom is coming to earth. This is his relationship that he has with John the Baptist, and in verse 13, it says this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. I want to pause there temporarily. We see that when Jesus retreats in the wilderness, it's always the prey. It's always the prey. And when he retreats to the wilderness to pray, it always comes on the heels of him serving others. Every single time. Every time we see, Je it says in scripture, Jesus withdrew to a solitary place and prayed. It comes right after him investing, serving, loving, doing miracles, preaching the kingdom of God. Ultimately serving others in love. It always comes on the, that always comes on the heels of him serving, right? And here's proof. Luke 5, 16. It says this, but Jesus often withdrew to a wilderness for prayer. The previous verse, verse 15 in Luke 5, it says, The report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases because he just healed a man of leprosy, and he was preaching the kingdom of God. He was invested in the interest of others. Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He just got done healing Peter's mother-in-law and healed many demon-possessed people. In verses 33 and 34, it says this, The whole town gathered at the door of Jesus, healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. Luke 6, verse 12, it says, well, on the, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. He healed a man's shriveled hand, and the Pharisees were upset about it. Verses 10 and 11, he, he looked around at them, and then he said to them, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another why they, why they might, what they might do to Jesus. He was invested in people. I think he was, in this last one, I think he probably was burdened by the fact that the Pharisees were trying to, ca were trying to catch him doing work on the Sabbath and not believing in the kingdom work that he was doing on earth. And how salvation can only come through him. 
So I think it's important for us to understand that as we jump into this. So again, verse 13, he withdrew to, by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Life goes on. And I'm not saying when hard things hit, when you're burdened, you can't take a reprieve. You can't take a moment. But the reality is, is life will hit. And I believe God doesn't want it to knock us so off course that we remove ourselves from the kingdom work that he's called us to. Think about the, the heaviness of what Jesus is going through. Mourning and lamenting his, one of his best friends. Dealing with his disciples. In the previous chapters here, he saw him doing miracles and investing in others, investing in, pe in, in people. We knew he had to withdrew to a solitary place to spend time with God. I believe he was burdened. But he still had compassion. It fueled him, and he healed their sick. Ultimately, he had an interest in others, not himself. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, hey, here's some coin. Go to the Greek Express and get them some euros. Wouldn't that be crazy if that's what he said? <laughs> is it gyros or euros? I don't know. No, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And if I were to guess... I think, that, I think the main reason Jesus asked the disciples to do this is for them to exercise their faith. But I also think he was asking them to serve, to think about the interest of others. They too are burdened by the, by the work. Two of these disciples, before they were disciples of Christ, were disciples of John the Baptist. Life goes on. And again, not that we can't take a moment but don't let it knock you off of the kingdom work of service. Have an interest of others. Pray the prayer that I have to pray often, Lord, give me an interest in others. They say here, hey, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke, the broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and disciples gave them to the people. Imagine this passing out food to over 5,000 people and then having to gather all the bread afterwards. That took time. It's not like it was something easy to do and an interest in others. He was asking them to serve. Let's go on to verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, what did he do? He went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. I believe, again, he was burdened by the work of service. It's taxing. It takes energy, effort. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So we know this interaction, he, and I think ultimately he has this interaction because he wants, again, to encourage the disciples with who it is that he is and what it is that they are capable of. Telling people, Peter, you, you have little faith. Believe that I can use you in the work of the kingdom. And it says here, immediately, or so, um, and then they climbed, so they get to the other side, and they climbed into the boat. The wind died down. Those that they were, then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over the land at, at, at uh, Gennesaret, 
Uh, and when the men of the, at that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to, to, to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. And then we see that Pharisees then come. Here in these verses, this is the longest 24 hours we see recorded in Scripture that Jesus had. Think This is in a span of 24 hours. He had an interest of others. And I believe he was burdened by that. And ultimately, he went to God the Father to alleviate that burden. We know Matthew 11, 28 through 30 well. Come to me all who are burdened and weary, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. The yoke meaning take the promises, the teaching of Jesus Christ. Claim those. And that in itself will make the burden easy and the yoke light. But I want to I teach you I want to teach you something that was taught to me that has been very, very beneficial to help me in the kingdom work of service, especially as I become burdened by the work. And I call it the, uh, the prayer of burden. And this is how I release my burdens. And I want to teach this to you. And I hope this is something you write down, you memorize in some way. This has been, I found out about this after this incident I talked about in December. And it has been the most advantageous thing that I have done, the most advantageous discipline that I have done as I have engaged in the kingdom work of service. I think we fail to release the, the burden of service. And here's a simple tool that can teach you how. It's simply this. This is the prompt that I use. And I think it's up here on the screen. This is knowing how to release Lord, I have answered your call today to enter into a life where there is brokenness and darkness. I am angered by fill in the blank. That list could be long. Sometimes that list right there takes me five to ten minutes. Then I go on. I am burdened by. And sometimes it's my own frustrations, my shortcomings. I am frustrated by fill in the blank. Spend as much time as you need to in those three areas. And then I end simply with this. I now release, and oftentimes there's a name that is attached to this. I now release blank to you and all of these burdens at your feet. Lift me from the burden of sadness, fear, and despair that weighs me down because of the work you have given me today. Where I have been tempted to have doubt, despair, and hatred, instead fill me with your faith, hope, and love. In the ministry of Safe Families for Children, as a staff, we exercise this discipline at least once a week, if not daily, because we need to. We carry the burden of the work of service, I think, way too much. And it's simply, I think all it takes is simply this prayer. And you know what I, found, what I find every single time after I do this? It actually gives me a, a, a perspective that I need to have. And ultimately, every single time I've done this, it's lead to this incredible time of thanksgiving and worship. Thanking him that I get to be a part of this. I failed to do that way too much before I came across this discipline. And so as we engage in the kingdom work of service, in this, I think, forgotten discipline at times, don't forget this discipline, the burden, the prayer of burden, the prayer of release. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to give you a couple minutes to practice this. I want you to think of that person that you're frustrated by 
or the kingdom work that you're engaged with that is burdensome. It could be, it could be parenting. Parenting is, is serving kids nonstop. That can be burdensome. It could be other things that you're a part of. Someone you're discipling, engaging in the least of these, whatever it may be. I want you to think of that person or that thing that is burdensome right now, that is frustrating, that is leading to you almost towards bitterness and anger and hatred. And take a, take a couple minutes right now to pray and use this prompt as a prayer. And then uh, I'll be back here in a couple minutes to close out. Worship team, you can come on up. I want to encourage you all to, to put this simple prayer into practice. May this become a discipline of yours for yourself, but I also want to exhort everyone to pray this for others. As we come alongside other uh, believers, um, pray this prayer for them. Um, pray it with them. Pray it by yourself for them. And I want to encourage you all to specifically pray that, this for the three girls that are going to Jordan here soon, Bree, um, Katie, and Sarah. If you have not committed to praying for them, I believe this is one great way we can do it. They're going to be engaged in a lot of work, kingdom work, where the enemy's going to be on the attack. And let us lift them up in prayer specifically that God would release the burden of their work and that he would be the one that carries it and not them. But ultimately, we have the privilege to be engaged in kingdom work, the kingdom work of service. And I, again, am proud of the way that the church has engaged in that way. Um, we, again, will grow frustrated and burdened. But ultimately, remember this. Don't, don't believe the lie that God's just trying to use you up. Man, he's inviting you because he loves you. He's inviting you ultimately because he wants you to experience the fullness of his love and joy. Amen to that? Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your love. We thank you for the invitation you oftentimes give us. Lord, and I just admit that I, I grow weary and I grow burdened often. And while, yeah, the work is, can be life-giving, there's just obstacles that I oftentimes face. And oftentimes I'm tempted to, to, to grow embittered and angered and to hold hatred in my heart, Lord. I pray against that, Lord. I pray you protect us from that, Lord. I pray that we mimic you, Jesus, that we learn how to retreat and connect with you and learn that you are the one that wants to carry the burden. Lord, thank you for that promise. Lord, we thank you again for your love for us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.